I'm Eddie Merckx. You listen to the Bicycle Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. Well, that's right, Eddie. This is the Bike Show on Resonance FM. And continuing on from the continental theme of last week's show, which was uh, live in Berlin, we are in the city of Brussels. And uh, for those of you keeping an eye on my carbon emissions, I should say that I came here on the night train from Berlin. And joining me also on the Eurostar is William Greswell. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be back on the show. It's been a long time. A few months ago, maybe even more than a year ago on the bike show, I reported on a new scheme, um, the kind of 21st century reinterpretation of the white bicycle that was being run in the French city of Lyon um, by a company called JC Dassault, a company mainly known for its um, advertising hoardings. But this is, uh, these are bicycles which are available um, at multiple points around the city um, that you can just check out for, um, you know, by the hour. They're completely unmanned, self-repairing, um, uh, self-maintaining uh, bicycles, um, fully equipped. And um, we, we've got ourselves a pair. It was too difficult to resist the lure of a new bicycling gadget. Uh, that's right. But the one thing they're not is self-propelling. Um, because they are particularly heavy machines which, are, which require a considerable amount of energy to push along. But no, they're great. They're very solid and uh, yeah, we're having fun tootling around the city. And it's a reasonable, it's about, it works out about a euro per hour, which if you just take it out for a day and uh, check it in uh, before you go to bed is not too expensive. Um, they've got, yeah, as I said, they've got the dynamos front and back. They've got an additional brake light that when you put the brakes on, the light comes on. Um, there's a kind of sort of dashboard on the handlebars which is very futuristic it giving you instructions on on how to do the lock there's a basket that's got a kind of integral lock in it um what else a bell yeah rather poorly adjusted bell i have to say that the one thing that's of some concern about this bicycle and i guess it comes from the fact that it's got to be maintenance free or minimal maintenance is the fact that it has solid tires this is not something that I knew when I checked it out and handed over my credit card. But um, we soon discovered it from the ride. Yeah, we, kept, we, cro we crossed some, uh, some typical Belgian pavé at, some, at, uh, at one point and those cobbles really went straight through and straight up your spine. It really wasn't very comfortable at all. I mean, and when you get a slight incline um, to go up and you just feel like, you know, half of the energy that you're putting in uh, to the bicycle is just getting somehow dissipated. I know it's really hard work. It's 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 incredibly labour intensive. It's a bit like being on an exercise bike. There appears to be an awful lot of resistance around, even at the lowest gear. Um, but it gets us there. It's getting us around. It's nice not yeah, to be having yeah. to tromp around on our feet. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get back on the bikes and um, continue our ride.
It's much easier going downhill when you've got solid tyres than going uphill, isn't it? There's an awful lot of momentum as well with the weight of these things. <laughs> well, there don't, there don't seem to be a whole lot of people cycling around Brussels. It's strange because Belgium is a country is known for its cycling culture and its uh, bicycle racing. I think we're going to go left here. Obviously producing Eddie Merckx and other great uh, cyclist champions and there's a big scene out in the countryside of road racing but it doesn't seem to be something that people do too much to get around in the city. No, no, it doesn't look like it but the, you know, the roads are kind of it's quite easy to get lost in the city. Well, that's because we're not from here. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding. Um, yeah, the roads aren't that conducive to it, and the, dr and the drivers seem quite you know, unsympathetic, I suppose. Driving around quite fast. But the, uh, the road markings are decent. There's a lot of roads which are... Um, one way for motor cars but bicycles are allowed to go both ways yeah you don't see that in uh, in london for example it is a good thing it's a, i think that's a pretty sensible thing to be honest if it's consistent which it appears to be so uh, it certainly helps you getting around all right we are in the place du luxembourg here um which is in the kind of heart of the uh, eu quarter the leopold quarter and that great glass and steel edifice up in front of us, kind of obscured by some construction work, is the European Parliament. So there it is, the heart of uh, the European project. This is where we send our elected representatives um, when they come to feed on the gravy train. Uh, but you can't really see it very well, can you? No, it's a little bit, little bit disappointing, but you can kind of see inside the... Um the, uh, the kind of modern architecture inside. Um, for some reason, I was expecting some big, big uh, grand place with, the, you know, uh, however many flags it would be now for the, uh, with right, the additional gonna, countries. We're going to get run down by a bus, so let's, let's hop onto the pavement here. There are also trams in this city in quite large quantities, and uh, that poses another hazard for the. Uh, inattentive cyclist who might get their wheels trapped in the in the tram tracks that's never happened to me but i don't know it seems quite a scary pro proposition yeah, you, you can see how easy it would be just to get pushed into them and they would be pretty frightening they're trying to get out particularly if you've got cobbles on either side as well yeah, there's, there's a few hazards around but uh no, it's pretty good really in terms of um conduciveness to the cyclist well let's continue on it being saturday night um the eu quarter is absolutely deserted. It's like going around the city of London on a Sunday. Um, everybody's at home and done their week's work.
I think we can head for that cycle track over there. It's up on the pavement. Right, green. Go. Oh la la. Attention. Oh, let's get, we can get a better view of the uh, parliament from up here, actually. They really went for us there, didn't they? There was no giving way at all. So there we go, it's the sort of sideways view of the parliament, which is really all glass and steel, stairways, elevators. It's pretty imposing, isn't it, actually? Was, um, and much more modern, I was expecting. I thought it was, was this built in the 19... It's being, being built now, really. Um, I mean, a lot of it was built in the, in the 90, 80s and 90s. Right. For some reason, there's a taste amongst the European institutions for really grand, modernist architectural statements, which I don't actually think does them any favours in terms of the people who are a bit worried about European institutions taking control of people's lives all around Europe. It doesn't really you know, help them make their case that actually it's all about cooperation and solidarity it, and togetherness. Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like an open or welcoming building. It looks like something which is kind of generating almost, you know, it's almost too imposing and powerful on, on, on you as you pass by. It doesn't feel very welcoming and warm, which is a shame, really. Yeah, inside it's very airy, full of um, kind of atriums and uh, uh, places to have coffee. And when I was there once, I was just amazed that when you get served a coffee, there is an enormous dustbin full of Ferrero Rocher uh, chocolates, which I just thought this is too ironic. Like, here I am in the European Parliament having a coffee, being given a handful of Ferrero Rocher. The ambassador was delighted, I can tell you. But we've come up uh, Rue de la Loire and we are facing the um, Berlaymont building which is the home of the European Commission and those are the people who essentially draft all the rules um, and laws that are going to apply to the European Union, uh, sometimes loathed, sometimes loved, although probably less frequently loved, but it's quite an impressive building. I think 
they discovered that it was full of asbestos a few years ago and so they had to spend 10 years kind of stripping it down but it's now been clad in a kind of uh, in a framework which allows it to regulate its temperature quite effectively uh, but again it's another monumental architectural statement isn't it yeah it really is but i prefer this to the one we just saw i think that, um, this is the image that i think people are most familiar with when they see you know a news reporter reporting on the latest bit of uh, bit of uh, eu legislation or, or debate um, to see this building and I, I quite like the look of this kind of framing that they've got outside of it and particularly when you hear uh, i assume that's what it is to do with these kind of um sustainable heating and, uh, and ventilation of buildings. I think that's a good thing, definitely. Yeah, I don't mind this one. And opposite, we have the Residence Palace, which is, uh, well, it's a pre-war building. I think it must be around about turn of the well, 1920s, I suppose. Um, and this was actually the building that housed the headquarters of the Gestapo during the occupation in the Second World War. How pleasing. I mean, it, it's, it's not quite up there with the Stasi buildings of, uh, of, um, of East Germany, but it's not far off. It's, I, mean, I don't think it was built for the purpose, but uh, that's the one that they chose. <laughs> but it's in character, I think. Maybe why they chose it. And then up here on the right, we have the, the, the Concilium, the council um, building, which is where all the, well, a lot of the EU summits, where all the members, member state, heads of state like uh, Tony Blair and Angela Merkel and Jacques Chirac come to um, thump the table mm -hmm. and stay up all night um, wrangling about fish quotas. Um, that's where it happens. And then up in the distance, there looks like there's some kind of triumphal arch. Um, I'm not quite sure what that one's uh, for. We've got a map in front of us, but it, it, um, it, it's off the map. Um, anyway, You can hear a great big... Um, a great big road yeah this is a, a kind of five lane motorway that goes right through the city center um, and goes kind of dips down into tunnels and then comes out and it's actually these cars on this big ring road which creates the speed i think that's quite unsettling if you're a if you're a cyclist Look at that! It's a quad bike doing a wheelie, well, a sideways wheelie. That is, that is incredible. I mean, he's still doing it, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's doing it all the way down the road. It's, on a, it's two people on a quad bike, just on the two uh, right-hand side wheels, kind of James Bond style. A brilliant stunt. Perfectly timed for radio broadcast. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Well, it's quite appropriate that we're standing outside the European Commission headquarters here in Brussels um, because just um, yesterday I received an email from the CTC, the Cyclist Touring Club, the main cyclist advocacy and campaigning group in the UK, alerting me to the fact that there was a law um, in formulation in Brussels that would require all uh, motor vehicles to keep their headlights on all day. So even when it's um, uh, in the daytime they'd have to keep their lights on. This is something that the Cyclist Touring Club is opposing because they think it would constitute a hazard to cyclists. Um, what do you think of a plan like this? 
Well, I don't, I'm not sure if I fully understand the, the CTC's concerns, and, and I can't quite understand the rationale for the, for the legislation, to be honest. Um, I'm not quite sure what it achieves. Surely there's some sort of implication um, in terms of fuel consumption for a car, and therefore not really contributing to environmental Well, Well, this is, this is one of the things that the CTC has raised, um, that it would increase uh, carbon emissions. But the main um, argument for a law like this is that there's a time kind of dawn and dusk every day um, when car drivers probably ought to have their lights on and they haven't turned them on. They just think it's light enough for them to be seen, but actually uh, they made a wrong call. And there's some evidence that suggests that if you had to have it on all the time, then you wouldn't have that problem of um, some drivers not having it on when it's dusk and it's, it's getting a bit gloomy out there. I don't know, I just think that, that why do we have to legislate to, to make people change their behaviour that way? Surely there's one can do awareness campaigns, education campaigns, or a little bit of road signage just to kind of remind people to turn lights on at the right time. But I, I, I don't know, it, it seems like overkill to me. Uh, to be fair to the CTC, I don't think the carbon emissions is their main objection. I think their main objection was a feeling that if car drivers get used to spotting other cars and other road users just by the fact that they've got a great big headlight on the front, um, they'll not see cyclists as readily because the cyclists obviously don't have so much light on the front. Perhaps. I mean, you don't know though, do you really? I mean, you know, cyclists in towns should be aware that they need to make themselves visible and all, you know, um, anyway. So, whether this would make any difference to the risks that a cyclist takes in terms of their visibility, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's really the case. Well, I'm not sure if this is one that's going to really capture the public imagination. It's not like the uh, legislation for the straight cucumbers or the, uh, or the requirement that fruit and vegetable be sold by kilo rather than by pound. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I don't think it's going to end up on the front page of the sun or the mirror. Well, we've left the EU quarter behind us and um, I've just passed the much more attractive Belgian National Parliament, um, which, I don't know, it's what a real parliament should look like, isn't it? You reckon? Yeah, and now, it's like what you might more expect. And uh, now we're cycling through quite an attractive park that... That's quite a few strange-looking characters wandering about. We've just descended down from the park on a slightly hair-raising descent there. I know these, these solid tyres, as well as being really heavy, I don't think they have very good handling. I think they, they don't grip the road, especially in this little bit of moisture that we have now. I was feeling a little bit uh, at risk of... Um, uh, in shoot. Yeah, the cornering as you're coming downhill doesn't fill you with the most, uh, the, the biggest amount of confidence, I have to tell you. But like moths, we are being drawn towards the light that's emanating from the Grand Place, which is the kind of central hub, really, of um, the medieval old town of, of Brussels. Um, it has a huge spire um, from one of the buildings there. I don't think they're religious buildings. I think they're kind of guild halls dating from... I suppose the 17th century um, and there's a light show kind of Jean-Michel Jarre style uh, lights being beamed up into the 
into the clouds and I don't know I guess there's some kind of Saturday night festival going on well, um, look we've just been passed by Brompton fantastic that's the second Brompton we've seen today um, so should we go and, uh, down and uh, take a look before it really starts raining and before we have to get our horse meat hustle on <laughs> let's get down there this is the bike show on resonance 104.4 FM we are in the Belgian capital of Brussels, me and William Greswell, and we have walked into a veritable medieval Yuletide Christmas wonderland here in the Grand Place. Yeah, we really have. There's the most beautiful Christmas tree in the, uh, in the centre of the square, lit up, complete with uh, luminous reindeer, um, and uh, a light show underway. And, uh, but the, for me, the the, the pièce de résistance, the, the real thing for this uh, for this little celebration, is the l fully life-size nativity scene behind us. It's true. It's a it's a genuine um, stable because there's no room in any of the hotels in the Grand Place for the baby Jesus uh, to be born. So um, he, they they built him a stable um, here, which is uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely life-size and it's attracting quite a crowd. Thatched roof, Tudor wattle and daub walls. It really is fantastic. But what's interesting is they put around this section where the where the baby Jesus and uh, and uh, and Mother Mary are, with, complete with straw bales and everything. They've had to put up a uh, a wire fence, um, to presuming to keep out anyone who really can't find a room for the night. We attempted to return our bicycles to a different depot from the one that we picked them up, but that didn't prove to be possible because the one that we were looking for was hidden by a, um, a kind of Christmas fair and an exhibition for the candidacy of the Estonian capital of Tallinn to be European city of culture. I don't know what they were giving away to encourage people to vote for them, but that's the kind of thing that you come across when you spend a night out in Brussels that's for sure um, so the bicycles are back in and uh, what's the verdict it's good if it's good for a convenience for a few hours probably but um, I think I'd look elsewhere if I wanted to rent a bike for a few days probably uh, go to a bike shop or something which does uh, you know rental of a more normal bike it, you know the, the comfort levels are not high and there's quite a lot of um, cobbled streets around here. The cobbled streets were a real punishment just there going around the uh, uh, Place of uh, St. Caterina and um, it really takes it out of you. You just feel like, can I, can I keep going with this, uh, this bone shaker? It, it really is a bone shaker. I mean, the old bikes before they invented pneumatic tyres were called bone shakers and this is a kind of 21st century return to the bone shaker. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it feels like a retrogr retrogressive step. 
I saw the um, uh, Deutsche Bahn free bicycles that they had in Berlin. I didn't actually take one out because I hired a bike from the bike shop. But I don't think that they had solid tyres. And I think they also had the advantage that you could leave them pretty much anywhere. And at the moment you locked them, that was when your hire period stopped. And obviously anyone could just take it if they wanted to once, once you've locked it up. But that seems a bit more sensible than than this system where you can't find the depots to leave them uh, they've got solid tyres and hmm, yeah nice try but uh, they have to work on something a bit more puncture resistant or they could just you know employ a kind of team of, um, of mechanics to go around pumping up the tyres now and again well we're sat in a well-known Brussels institution, a restaurant called Le Pré-Salé, um, which is very, very traditional. Uh, bright lights, white tiles on the walls, some extraordinary silver um, goat-headed coat hangers on the walls, and um, a really nice sense of bustle and fun and excitement. Lots of people having a big meal on Saturday night. And um, that includes us, because we've had an enormous meal. Um, and William, after less than 24 hours in Brussels, has gone native, essentially. So would you like to describe to me the, uh, the delicacies that you've consumed this evening? Certainly. Well, I, uh, I actually I originally asked for frog's legs, for starters, but the chef threw a tantrum and said that he refused to cook them. So instead I opted for eels. Um, eels in liquor, basically. They were green sauce. Eels in green sauce, they were called, but uh, basically it was, it was parsley sauce. So it's just like having eels in liquor back home. Um, which is in keeping with the uh, aesthetic of the restaurant, with the tiled wall, the white tiled wall. And then for my main course, I had the steak of a horse, which was delicious. And how did you have it cooked? A point. So, um, not too bloody, but um, but just right actually, and uh, it was buttery. I would say, strong tasting and buttery, unbelievably tender, and some good frites uh, on the side. Very pleased with my uh, my first proper portion of Belgian frites, which uh, lived up to every expectation. And washed down with a bottle of Chateau Lacombe Nouillac, uh, 2003. And now we're contemplating dessert, but um, I'm not sure if I can handle it, really. I mean, it's just as well we cycled like crazies around before we came along here, because there's no possible way we would pack away this volume of meat and chips uh, and herrings and steamed eels and parsley sauce if it wasn't for a good bike ride. So another reason to enhance your gastronomic weekend away is to take to the bicycle because your calorie requirement will, will go up through the roof and you better pack away, you know, maybe three or, or four or five meals a day. Yeah, and I, I reckon that last, that last little hill we had to go up and that last little circuit of St. Catherine Square, I think that makes us fully deserving of the uh, creme brulee which is going to follow. I'm absolutely convinced of that. You've been listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. It's just about the end of the show. So I just have to thank William Greswell for riding with me in Brussels. 
Next week, the bike show will be back at home in London. And if all goes to plan, we'll be doing something of a Christmas special, but with an ethical twist. So until then, ride safely and chapeau.